What are you giving up for Lent? This is a common refrain among Christians this time of year. The season of Lent begins next week on Ash Wednesday. Lent is a time of introspection, a time to retreat and reflect, to listen for the Holy Spirit. It's a time to remember the 40 days Jesus spent in the desert tempted by Satan, a time to honor the sacrifice Jesus made in his passion, bearing the cross for us before he would rise again in victory over death and the evil powers of this world, powers that fight to keep us from seeing the kingdom of God when it is right in front of us. To honor this time, many of us will commit to a practice during the Lenten season. Jesus says his followers must deny themselves in order to follow him. And we usually practice this by sacrificing something for the duration of this season in which we journey towards Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. This time between Ash Wednesday and Easter is full of people giving something up. Something we wish we didn't feel so dependent on, perhaps. At times, I've thought to myself about social media or soda. I can't give up that. That's too much of a sacrifice. Lent can be co-opted by our consumer culture, causing us to focus inward instead of on God. Even things that are otherwise good can be corrupted when not used faithfully. For example, I saw a secular blog post suggesting we get rid of a bag of things we no longer use every day for the 40 days of Lent. Getting rid of clutter is not a terrible idea, but it's not what Lent is for. Often, those who do give up something to honor and remember Jesus' sacrifice will give up food. Not all of it, of course, but bread, chocolate, soda, something we've deemed bad. Many people give up fast food, meat, sugar, coffee, and the list goes on. Why do we gravitate towards the idea of giving up certain foods for Lent? There is a deep tradition of fasting in order to better pray and connect with God, but I think giving up certain foods for Lent goes beyond that. I think this is because Lent has been co-opted most of all by diet culture. When it comes to food, we have a lot of messages in our culture around what is good food and bad food, good eating and bad eating. We must keep up with what's healthy, of course, but also what is clean, green, organic, non-GMO, sustainable, and plenty of other adjectives that preface the name of a product on the label we're buying in hopes that it will make us our happiest and healthiest selves. These things in and of themselves are not bad, but as a culture, we tend to idolize food. We plan it out, track it on our calorie counter app or food scale, Instead of simply allowing food to nourish us or provide enjoyment and community, we obsess about it. Even if we're someone who goes to the drive-thru more often than the kitchen, we know that this is also deemed bad. We all know fast food isn't the most nutritious option, but moralizing and demonizing foods for not providing us with the same nutrition as other foods can be just as much of a problem as idolizing food as someone who is on a strict diet of green juice. In this way, Lent can be especially harmful to those who have eating disorders or unhealthy relationships with food. 
Now, I have never had an eating disorder, but I sure have disordered eating patterns. I worry about how much I eat and when, where it comes from, and what meal I'm going to skip or how much exercise I'm going to have to do to make up for the food I just ate. All the calories that food gave me, as if calories are not what my body needs to go through a normal day. Giving up certain foods for Lent is not a holy practice for me or for many others who have experienced disordered eating patterns. And for better or for worse, I'm not alone in this struggle. Christy Harrison is an advocate for intuitive eating, and she refers to herself as an anti-diet dietitian. In her book, Anti-Diet, Christy writes, In recent years, 86% of Americans have dieted for some length of time. A close cousin of dieting is disordered eating, using behaviors such as fasting, chronic restrained eating, and or binging, as many people do as a result of dieting, all without engaging in any of these behaviors frequently or consistently enough to meet the criteria for a full-blown eating disorder. And a survey by researchers at UNC found 65% of American women between 25 and 45 have some form of disordered eating. And these issues are on the rise in men as well. A large part of dealing with disordered eating patterns is battling the voice inside your head telling you not to eat and to exercise more, or that being skinny or simply being in control will lead you to being happy. And it's not just the voice inside your head. Voices promoting this idea to be perfect are coming from outside factors as well, including family members, friends, and especially social media, all influenced by the powers that whisper in our ears, saying we are not good enough the way God made us. Even when Lent itself does not harm someone's body image, it does give people a platform to say things that can hurt pretty badly. Like when people suggest you should give up all carbs for Lent so you could lose some extra weight, and that's supposed to be a win-win. Or when you go to eat a cookie and people make you feel bad about it because they gave up sugar for Lent. When I'm struggling with disordered eating, continually hearing friends or family talk about their own body image can be detrimental to my eating habits for that day. I find myself comparing my body to theirs or becoming more restrictive because of it. And as we've seen, the odds are you or someone you love is dealing with these struggles as well. While I respect the tradition of fasting from food when it's used to bring someone closer to God, and it can, the practice can be extremely dangerous when it's abused. While there are many schools of thought concerning fasting, one of the most common reasons Christians do it is because they want to encounter righteous suffering, suffering because Christ suffered, or suffering to prove our faith. We can easily jump into disordered thinking if the fasting is not carefully thought through. Even things that are otherwise good can be corrupted when not used faithfully. Some folks slip into thinking that regularly denying themselves enough food is helping to make themselves better. That everything in their life will be better upon reaching some arbitrary goal, that magic number on the scale, or the perfect pants size. When fasting from food, we must remember that God is the only one truly in power. Our goal is to get closer to God. And upon breaking that fast, we should give thanks over the food and enjoy the bounty God has created.
When Jesus said, if any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves, he did not mean for us to deny our bodies the nourishment they need in an unspiritual way. He did not mean that we should do anything that takes the focus off of him and puts it on ourselves, which so much of giving up something for Lent has become about. When we focus so much on what we're giving up, we lose focus on why we're making the sacrifice in the first place. John Calvin went so far as to say that giving something up for Lent is to take Christ's crown off his head and put it on our own. Certainly, giving something up to replace it with reading scripture, prayer, getting out in creation, or rejoicing in the body God has given you is good, as long as the focus remains on Christ. Matthew 26, 26 says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We participate in the body of Christ through the eating of a meal. The elements provide nourishment to our souls. When Jesus takes the bread and wine at the Last Supper, he tells his disciples, Eat this, drink this in my honor. Do this to remember me and do it often. The community we build around the table reflects the love of Christ and the unity he prayed for us to have that same night as the Last Supper. The body and blood come to us through the bread and the cup, food to nourish not just our bodies, but our souls, our spirits. In her book, Bread and Wine, Shauna Nequist writes, Bread and wine are food and drink, but also something much deeper, the sacred and the material at once the heaven and earth, the divine and the daily. Shauna believes any time we encounter bread and wine, we should remember the body and blood, whether in church or at a picnic table, on a hardwood floor or at the beach. We see all through scripture that food is important to God. God made bread fall from heaven to nourish his people when they were wandering in the desert. Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children when the people were so hungry for his teaching, they forgot to plan ahead for their physical hunger. And after this very large picnic, there were still 12 baskets of bread left over, a beautiful expression of the kingdom of God, saying there is plenty of grace to go around. And then after Jesus' resurrection, when he walks with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the men realize hope is alive and with them when Jesus breaks bread and they eat together. At the Last Supper with his friends, Jesus ate, drank, and taught his disciples to continue to eat and drink together in remembrance of him, because food brings people together. Sharing a meal can show us glimpses of the kingdom of God. I'm still learning to cook, but I know the way God shows up when a community gathers around a table to share a meal and fellowship. In Stations of the Heart, a memoir about his son's battle with cancer, Richard Lisher claims, eating made us human again. For this family facing confusion, frustration, and pain, sharing a meal was a way to laugh, pray, relax, and be their true selves. 
Likewise, we build community around both the kitchen table and the communion table. There is healing power in a community eating together. As I close, I want to be sure you hear this. God made us to eat and it is good. God made you and declared you good. The Hebrew word for good, as in at creation when God said it was good, can also be translated as whole or as it should be. And God has said that you, my friends, are very good. You are good enough. It doesn't matter what you ate this weekend. It doesn't matter how you did or didn't move your body. You don't need to do anything to earn food or goodness. You always deserve enough to eat because you are a human and that is how God made our bodies to be. There's a difference between what Jesus meant in regards to denying ourselves and denying our bodies the nourishment it needs. When it comes to folks living with disordered eating patterns, one short sermon isn't going to be the cure. But I pray it can be a word of hope and freedom to those who have been led to experience Lent as a time of spiraling into restricting calories or as a good excuse for cutting out carbs. For Lent this year, I suggest taking up a special practice of prayer or journaling as opposed to giving something up. I find adding a practice brings me closer to God, while giving something up can lead me to focus on myself. Whatever helps you participate in this holy season is good, but if you must fast from something, fast from negative self-talk, fast from thoughts that judge food and bodies as good and bad, fast from diet culture and insecurities and idolizing food, Fast from anything that takes the focus off of Christ. Amen.